The story I'm going to share with you today is about hospitality. Life is a journey without hospitality. By that I mean gracious, caring people that we meet in life. Life is very dull or difficult or sometimes dies. The older I become, the more I realize the importance of a hospitality in life. Actually, we have some college grads and many young people here in the beginning of their career. Let me tell you, you be a good host, you will be successful. You will flourish. Even professionally, socially, even spiritually, you be a good host, God will bless you richly. One thing I'm very grateful to my parents, though they are not a Christian, beginning, they really were, uh, they host many people. I grew up with uh, many people in the house, many guests in our house. I think that was a real blessing so that I don't have a fear of inviting people to my house. And actually, I, I'm proud that I, though I'm a pastor that uh, uh, I don't prepare, I, I don't provide much materially, but socially, I think my children are so blessed through me. So may, may God one day help them to pay me all the gratitude. This commercial ends right here. And uh, I recently saw a documentary about a, a trial and triumph of uh, Koreans in Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan. In 1937, Joseph Stalin, the Soviet Union dictator, forcefully mass deported over 200,000 Koreans from Russian Far East to Central Asia because he suspected them to be Japanese sympathizers. And that's when the Japan and Russia, they, they just started a war. Actual fact was the opposite. These Koreans, were the patriotic Koreans who migrated from Korea to engage in military operation against Japan for the independence of Korea. But due to the Stalin's ignorance, they were ordered in the middle of the night to pack as much and transport in the cargo train to Central Asia near Siberia. It was the middle of the winter, and many died of hunger and sickness. Whenever trains stopped, they dumped their dead family bodies, family members' body, and moved on until they finally arrived nowhere. Guess how they survived? The br brutal Siberian winter without much food and proper clothing. It was a cannibalism. <laughs> Some people read, watch, read too much. Game, game, Valerian still. I will never forget Valerian still. It was a hospitality of a Kazakhs and Uzbeks that saved them. And the Kazakhs and Uzbeks, they're the descendant of a nomad whose culture was deeply seated in hospitality. In harsh environment, humans can survive only through hospitality. And hospitality and gracious and generous care of strangers it's a survival secret and seed of success for half million Korean Central Asians now. And Bible also emphasizes hospitality. 
Romans 12, 13, Paul said, Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. House church. Reason we make that as our main ministerial thrust is because a house church cannot flourish without hospitality. Unless we genuinely host others with love and food, we cannot really flourish. And I think you know, it's a God-given mission and calling. It's a wonderful opportunity. And Hebrews 13.2 even goes further. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. You know, we usually extend hospitality to our friends. Bible call, not just to friends and people that you know, even strangers. For by this, some have entertained the angels without knowing it. Isn't that wonderful? Do you remember anybody who, well, you, you don't know, you know, they graciously hosted you, care for you, even though you're total strangers, you don't add much to their life? You know, God will remember them. God will bless them. Henry Nouwen is the uh, Dutch-American Roman Catholic priest and psychologist and uh, theologian, uh, Professor Yale and Harvard. He wrote a great book called The Wounded uh, Healer. And this is what he said about parenting and the hospitality. It may sound strange to speak of a relationship between parents and children in terms of hospitality but it belongs to the center of a Christian message that children are not property to own and rule over. Okay, let me say from the outset. There are two wrong kind of a parenting. Some parents, they kind of, uh, you know, they, they, they adore children like they're kings and queens. Ooh, my kid, my kid, my kid, you know. That's a sure way to ruin your kid. You're gonna make a, you're gonna spoil and make them bread. And some parents, they treat the kids like a servant or slaves. Okay. <laughs> they'll go my, uh, they'll go, you know, these are my, what is that, the retirement fund. Yep, there is, you know, succeed. Uh, succeed in your career. Had I have a parents like you, I'll be whatever, you know. They, they project their dream through their friends. So children are not properties to own and rule over, nor you know, idol to worship, but gifts to cherish and care for. Our children, our most important guests. Parents, let's read together. One, two, three. Our children are our most important guests. Jackie Kennedy once said, if you bungle raising your children, I don't think whatever else you do matters. I totally agree. Who enters into our home, ask for careful attention, stay for a while, and then leave to follow their own way. Children are strangers whom we have to get to know. I can be a witness to that. <laughs> they have their own style, their own rhythm, their own capacity for good and evil. I like this analogy of a parenting as a rendering hospitality. You know, we parents also children as a guest sent by God their real father. And we don't own children. They belong to God. We just have them for a while. And God calls us to care for and nurture them to become mature, responsible citizens of the kingdom of God. That's all the parenting is about. So today, 
I'm going to share a story about hospitality that went wrong. <laughs> and then through that, I hope we all can confess our mistake and also much grace, much importantly, find the hope and promise of a spiritual parenting. By the way, whether you have a children or not, we all care for one another. So this is not only for the parents, single people. You know, you also, I hope that you find the wisdom of God in this. So let's turn to Luke chapter 10, verse 38 to 42. Let's read it responsibly at our church custom. So brothers, today is a Mother's Day, so I'm going to have a Mother's call. Mothers read first and brothers will, uh, read the next verse. So mothers, here we go. One, two, three. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things together, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better. It will not be taken away from her. Have you ever wondered where Jesus spent his evenings and his night most comfortably during a public ministry? One time a prospective disciple came to Jesus asking him about the fringe benefit of discipleship. And Jesus told that foxes have a holes and birds have a nest, but son of man, son of man has a no permanent place to lay his head. Oftentimes, our Lord slept out in the field with the sky for blanket and stone for pillow. But there are also other times Jesus enjoyed warmth and hospitality of a good friend. And there was probably no home in all of Israel more comfortable to our Lord Jesus than home of a Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. During the closing hours of his life, when other hearts and homes are closed to Jesus, the door of this house was open to Jesus, and he came in. And today's story, I'd like to share with you three important wisdom or principles about being a Christ-honoring, godly mother of a faith. Okay? So about the parenting. The number one thing is this. Also, let me give you the outline. We'll talk about privilege of uh, uh, open grace or open truth. Privilege of open truth and grace. And number two will be, I have to look at my own outline. It shows you how much I prepare for this sermon, right? Problem of overcrowded heart. And third is a priority of a one, priority of a one thing. Okay. The first thing about uh, being a godly parent or a good host is that commit yourself to Christ as his disciple. Commit yourself to Christ as his disciple. Today's story begins with uh, verse 39. She had uh, Martha welcomed Jesus, and Martha has a sister, verse 39, named Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. First thing, 
about his stories and Mary sitting at the Lord's feet and listening to his teaching. And as we know, this simple act of Mary later became a trigger to Martha's explosion. I laugh because, you know, I sympathize with Martha. You know, hosting people, things are not going well, you know. And uh, so I, you know, this is more like a testimony. You know, here, we need to make an important observation. To modern readers, it seems nothing unusual about a woman learning from her teacher, right? What's the big deal? But Luke intentionally studied this story in this way because sitting at the Lord's feet was not just a simple description. This is a formal expression of a formal expression about the tutelage on the rabbi. This is a actually well-known term in the uh, Jewish culture. For instance, Acts, 23, Acts 22, 3, Paul talking about his uh, uh, biography or resume, Paul said, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, brought up in this city. I study under Gamaliel. Gamaliel is a, one of the most well-known rabbis at the time was thoroughly trained in the law by my ancestors, and I was a zealous for God as any of you are today. You know, New Testament translation, I study under Gamaliel, is a paraphrase. Greek text is I was instructed at the feet of Gamaliel. That's the Greek text. So studying at the feet of so-and-so, especially rabbi, it simply means you are formal, official disciple. Disciple or learner, student of that rabbi. And so what's the big deal about Mary being that? Jewish people didn't allow a woman to be a student of a rabbi for a long time. And to make a point, I recommend you, someone is coming around, and many of you are checking out the movies. There is a one movie I really, really highly recommend. That is a movie called The Yentil. Do we have it? Yes. It was came out my junior in college. Some of you know, recognize this movie? Yes, this is a great movie. Those of you, you know, waiting for the, uh, what is that? The John Wick 3? Man alive. Check this one first. You know, this is a life changing, right? And uh, Yentil is a 1983 American romantic musical drama film. And it actually, Barbara Streisand uh, is the best movie in my opinion. She won the, uh, what is that, the Best Director Award, uh, Golden Globe Best Director Award, and the Best Motion Picture, and you know, uh, Oscar for the Best Original Score. The story about the uh, daughter of a Polish rabbi in 1904, who secretly taught by her father because she has an insatiable curiosity about Jewish law. And but her culture, they say, woman who reads the Talmud is a demon. That's what they say. So they have to keep the secret. After her father passed away, she has to, she wants to learn. So she became, she cut her hair and she pretended to be a man. And the rest of her, you know, all the romantic entanglement and excitement and then everything, you know, goes. So I highly recommend this movie. And uh, 
Do you know first time in history Jewish people had a woman rabbi? I did a research, and it was her name was Eshnath Barzani in 16th century or 17th century. She was Kurdish Jew in Iraq. Kurdish Jew. Okay, Vivian seemed to know, so ask Vivian. And in America, we, do you know when we had a first woman rabbi? That was in 1972. So does that tell you how this is a radical thing? And here I want to say this. No major religious figure in human history respected and welcomed woman as a Jesus Christ did. Confucius had only uh, male disciples. Buddha, okay, I, I was a former Buddhist. I can tell you a little bit about Buddhism. You know, Buddhism is an incredibly generous and gracious religion. Buddhism came out of Hinduism. And actually, funny thing is, Buddhism came out of northern India, but it didn't really well received by the rest of the Indians. Why? Indians so trenched in this caste system, and they couldn't stand the Buddhism. Why? Gautama Buddha, he welcomed everybody from every caste to be his disciple. So he broke the major Hindu taboo that as a caste is a, doesn't matter. Anybody can be my disciple. So Buddha practiced incredible radical egalitarian. But Buddha didn't have a female disciple until five years later, after he became enlightened. And guess who was his first you know, uh, uh, female disciple, or in the British term is a bhikkhuni. And that was none other than his aunt. Gautama Buddha's mother died when he was very young. He raised by his aunt. So almost his de facto mother, when she saw Buddha became enlightened, and said, hey, teach me. And he said, no, and said, she persisted for five years. After five years, she said, I don't care. I'm going to follow you. And he had no choice. And since then, all the women start following Buddha. Whereas Jesus, he welcomed Mary or anybody. We have to know this. Mary was here at the feet of Jesus. Not because she has a manly ambition or spirit of what he called pioneer woman that I'll be the first to whatever. That's not Mary. As you know in the Bible, Mary was a very sensitive soul. Mary was touched by the words of Jesus and she loved his truth and grace. She wanted to follow Jesus faithfully and correctly more than anything else in her life. That's why Mary was at the feet of Jesus. And here is challenge for all of us. What are you most grateful of or proud of in your life? For Mary, it is being a follower of Jesus Christ. Mothers, what are you most proud of in your life? You know, some mothers are proud of their family heritage. You know, some mothers are you know, proud of their education and beauty. You know, I heard some mother say, you know, your father was a nobody until I, you know, he, he met me. 
You know, actually, I, you know, I was so awesome that uh, I had uh, so many suitors, I couldn't pick any doctors and better doctors. But uh, I say, you know, but somehow I was blind. I married your father. <laughs> and, you know, do you know you think you're great? You have to, you know, it was all his life began after me. You know? The mothers, you know, oh, your father, you know. He was going nowhere in corporate world, so I gave him a you know, you know, direction of life, and he followed my advice. And look, this is where we are, you know. Mothers. I mean, we are all proud of something, but what are we really proud of? What is the core of our identity? If a mothers are not proud of your faith in Jesus Christ, please don't fool your children. They don't, their children are most, they are smart Alexes. They know our heart better than anybody. They smell us from far. They know what we really care about, what we really treasure. So number one thing is in order to be a real godly parents or real fruitful, real, real good hosts for our children in earthly journey, so we commit ourselves to Christ as a disciple, just as a marriage. Number two. Be careful about multitasking. That's what you know, I'm talking about, the problem of Martha. Look at the verse 40. But, contrast, Martha was distracted by all pre preparation that has to be made, and she came to Jesus. And Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. You know, before we talk about Martha, I want us all of us to clear on that, that Martha was faulted for her service. Jesus was not rebuking Martha for serving or wanting to serve him well. Without people like Martha, our church, our family, you know, everything is, is no fun. It's, it cannot go great. Martha's problem in this story is not her serving, but that serving that lost her critical balance. That's a problem. So problem is that the, uh, not that Martha busy serving and providing hospitality, but in the process. Martha was distracted because she planned so much. The distracted in verse 40 is a, in Greek word is a peri, peri, peri spato, which means you are pulled in outside. You pulled outside. So instead of being in the center, you pulled outside. You, you lost the focus. You lost the focus. And the, what did she lose? When you're hosting other people, what is the most important thing? Love and joy over your guests. You loving and caring your, your gracious attention to the guests. But I guess she prayed too much and somehow too many things going on and then you know something was uh, overburning, overcooking and there's smell and then Martha went into you know, a, a panic moment. And then what did she do? Out of this multitasking, Martha, the, she broke the, the cardinal rule of hosting. What is that? She criticized her sister, her own family member. 
she invited Jesus to intervene the family feud, and she even complained to Jesus. Right? This is, she even said, Lord, do you care? <laughs> do you care? You know? She became a bitter, she became from gracious host initially, and now became a bitter accuser or resentful complainer. You know, there's a, she said, the, uh, tell my sisters to help me. There's a Greek word for this word that help me. It's actually, it's a, it's a very, uh, this word is once again, our translation is an oversimplification. The Greek word is a sun antilambanomai. Sun antilambanomai appeared in the Bible only twice. The other, and then it literally means lend a hand with me. Don't let Mary sit and learn from you. Her place is here in the kitchen. That is the place of a man. Bring her here. Tell her to come here and do exactly what I do. That's what Martha was telling Jesus. Other passage that this world used in the Romans 8, that the Holy Spirit help us in our weakness, that Holy Spirit help us is the same word, you know, soon until Ambanomai. Isn't that wonderful? Actually, side point, but a Holy Spirit is not just helping us, it's helping with us in our position, exactly understanding what you and I are going through and the lending is a hand exactly our place. So, Martha's worry and distraction prevented her from being a truly present with Jesus and instead drove a wedge between her sister and herself and between and Jesus. And uh, multitasking, Jesus said, Martha, you prepare so much. You're doing so many things. I think this is a lesson for all of us because we are living in a time where people brag about multitasking. I used to be one of those people. You know? I was proud of my multitasking ability, so especially when I was young. You know? I didn't want to just eat. I think eating was a waste of time. The only time I ate was when I'm driving. And at the time, I was driving stick shit. And, you know, <laughs> and you'll be surprised. I was eating hamburger and the french fries with the stick shit. I was a very, and then, you know, and multitasking. I thought that's the way to live. And uh, uh, there was an article that I read, uh, Forbes magazine in 2017. Uh, by a person named Michael Blanding, having no life is a new aspirational lifestyle. <laughs> Taking afternoon off for a round of golf or enjoying a beach holiday in a five-star resort were once a signs of a having made it. Quote. But according to new study from researchers at Harvard, Americans increasingly perceive busy and overworked people as a having a high status. So one research, they sent it out, uh, the 100 participants were asked to read a fictional letter from a friend named Daniel. In one version, he complained about being a crazy busy, never having time to watch TV. In another letter, he talked about being relaxed and often watching sports on TV. On scale one to seven, participants ranked busy Daniel more than twice as a high on the measure of wealth 
and social status as they ranked leisurely Daniel. And then article ends this. The researchers concluded, our new conspicuous cons consumation, consumption is no longer about scarce things like a jewelry or money or cars. Instead, it's about saying, I am the scarce, scarce resource, therefore I am valuable. Displaying one's business at, bus busyness at work and lack of a leisure time operates as a visible signs, uh, signals of a status in the eyes of others. In other words, Americans take a big pride in multitasking in business. You know, so it, it reminds me, you know, Descartes, Rene Descartes, the father of a modern philosophy or epistemology said, I think, therefore I am, cogito ergo sum. Now, a lot of people in our time say, I multi-think, therefore I am. The more multi-think I do than you, I'm more important than you. And you have to know this. Early church fathers, especially desert church fathers, they say business, business, being busy is a moral laziness. If you're too busy to do the right thing and spiritual thing and cultivate your spiritual life, they don't, they said actually it's a moral failure. Now, Parents inevitably involves multitasking. I know it, you know it, I'm not here to, you know. But uh, this is prayer that I have for all of us. And this is a recommendation I have for all, all of us. Before you came out of your, your own bedroom in the morning, please pray to God. Lord, give me focus and patience for my child. Just pray, just even on the bed, just, you know, don't come out of your, don't come out of your bedroom and rushing to the day, you know, things of the, the agenda of the day. Then your child become one of the many things to manage. And another thing, is both mothers and fathers, before you come to the house after work, stay in a car for a minute and pray to God. God, once again, now I'm with my child, give me a wisdom to really listen to them and provide your wisdom to them. Don't rush to your restful evening and thinking that uh, this, my number one goal is to put you to sleep as, 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 as fast as I can. Hurry up, hurry up, so hurry up to the homework, hurry up, eat the dinner, hurry up, wash your teeth, hurry up, take a shower, hurry up to the bed. <laughs> Let me tell you. If you do that, your children will know. My parents, they're not busy. I'm not that important. I'm not their top priority. You know, kids are smart. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, they are smarter than us. <laughs> and uh, I resent that, but it happened. So, things that God is, you know, calling us, Jesus is a bringing attention is that simple, simply, you know, things that are worth doing is worth doing simply. Do you know that? 
and simplify, simplifying life can be an important spiritual discipline. And anytime you are distracted and the resentment and anger and frustration comes, just stop. Just stop and simplify. I experienced that many, many times. You know, I live a, a personality type A person. And, uh, you know, when we invite people and uh, I'm preparing food and I usually say, don't worry, you know, I'm cooking, I'm grilling and the steak and the salad and the, all that. Oh, that person says, oh, you know, you have to buy a, a, a mushroom. Mushroom goes well with uh, steak. They say, oh, yeah, don't worry, I'll buy the mushroom. Don't buy the cheap mushroom that you buy. Buy that, uh, you know, that uh, brown mushroom from Costco. Well, after you cook, it doesn't matter. I know it's a dollar more expense. That's more, you know, you're cheap, but I'm not. You know, bring it all there. And then the, sometimes in the midst of all this, we lose our focus. Yes, I'm going to have a, a good talk with my wife after this. <laughs> and the four-year recommendation is round two. Started yesterday. And uh, yes, one, one thing about uh, being a pastor is that, uh, you know, more I confess or vent in the pulpit, the healthier my soul becomes. <laughs> and uh, so if you want to have a healthy mental life, you're a pastor. And because, uh, um, seriously, and uh, well, it's actually in our church, we have a plenty of uh, position for the pastors. House church. We are looking for pastors. So you be the house church pastors. You, know, you will definitely have a wonderful marriage. Now, let's, my main point is about Mary. What did Mary do right that Jesus said to Beth, uh, uh, Martha? Few things are needed, but indeed only one. And Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. What does Jesus mean by Mary has chosen what is better? You know, I like the uh, translation uh, of, uh, of uh, Eugene Peterson, the Ma uh, Message Bible, translate this passage in this. Martha, dear Martha. By the way, when Jesus called Martha, Martha, anytime Bible calls somebody's name twice, it's the term of endurance. Maybe in your house, your wife called you your name twice. It's not, a, it's not the term of endurance. <laughs> But in Bible, that's a term, endearing expression. Martha, so that's why he said, Dear Martha, you are fussing far too much and getting yourself worked up over nothing. One thing only is essential. Mary has chosen it. It is the main course and won't be taken from her. I like the expression. Mary chose the main course. Main course. I think Eugene Patterson got the crux of this, ma this message. You know what Jesus is saying? Martha, you think you are the host and I'm your guest? Think again. I'm the ultimate host. You are my guest. I came here to give my life for you. I'm the Lamb of God. You need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Without me in you, you cannot live abundant life that I talked about. You have, to feed, you have to feed yourself with my love. That's what Jesus is talking about. So, 
Obviously, Jesus is on, on his way to Jerusalem for the last time, and Jesus wants to teach beloved Bethany family about his ultimate love and saving sacrifice, and he wants to, you know, he, he want to prepare them with the hope of resurrection and resurrection faith, which is no one and nothing in this world can take, take away from us. So this is one thing that Jesus said that Mary chose. This is none other than Jesus' love for us. And now, here, the third point about Mary finding this priority of one thing, in terms of parenting, it means this. Successful spiritual parenting, let me say this, successful spiritual parenting, listen carefully, is a co-parenting with God. It's a co-parenting. You are not parenting alone. You are parenting with Jesus. Okay, what does it mean by the co-parenting? Number of things. One, co-parenting means God is the ultimate father of our children. We are simply deputy parents. Do you know that? When we go to heaven, Bible said our relationship will be completely transformed. And uh, we will be brothers and sisters. There is no more marriage, you know, marriage relationship. Unlike Muslims, when you go to heaven and there will be 70 virgins to you know, attend you and satisfy your whatever craving. No. In God's kingdom, as we learned last week, the glorified body, our physical life will be different. It's totally moved by the spirit. And the craving the spiritual you know, desires of God more than anything else. So in heaven, we are brothers and sisters, we are brothers and sisters and parents and child and so forth. Heaven, I mean, you know, heaven, no longer parent-child relationship. We'll be all brothers, sisters, husband, wife, children, everybody, brother and sister. And we love each other more than ever. We are only father and mother during this earthly journey. And it is my prayer that when we all stand before Jesus, not only we hear from our, our God, the well done, my faithful servant, I hope all of us can hear from our children. Brother Paul, thank you very much for being a good father while we're on earth. Brother Danny, thank you so much for being a good father too. Me. Things like that. So father, you know, co-parenting means God is the ultimate father. And by the way, you know the most scary parenting? Most scary parenting is a spiritual single parenting. What I mean by that is a you try to care for your child by yourself without help of God. That is the most scary parenting that I know. Because even if you succeed in whatever definition you have, your child will be dysfunctional. If a child doesn't know God in your heart, success, your child will become more dependent on you, or sooner or later he will disrespect you and rebellious. One way or another, in success or failure, your child will be dysfunctional. Don't raise your child alone. Raise your child with God and his people. This is the number one important principle of a spiritual parenting. 
co-parenting with God. Number two, what, number two about the co-parenting. This is, I think, more and more I'm realizing and um, I'm, I'm trying to do. Uh, my, our primary role in co-parenting is uh, praying for our children. I'm a prayer warrior for my child. And God is the ultimate provider. Yes, right now I'm changing their diaper, I'm feeding them without me, they can go anywhere, so forth, but those times goes fast. And then time comes, there are, we cannot provide their need. And it, for me, it came out fast. Fifth grade, when they asked me a math problem, I said, okay, <laughs> time to look for a tutor, maybe. Yeah. And uh, God is the ultimate provider, and the parents, we are prayer. And then on this part, I want to tell you this. You know what kind of parents God helped? Guess what kind of parents God helped? Well, you might say praying parents. Yes, you're right. Desperate, empty parents. Parents cry out to God, Heavenly Father, I got nothing. I want to help my kid, but I got nothing. Please help my child. It's your child. Why you torture me with your child? That's my prayer. Actually, I did a lot. Why do you torture me, you know? I, if I have your means, I can't, you know. But you do. But I don't. Help me. It's your child. Your glory is attached to that. You die for the kid. Do it. You know, a lot of Connected to the right people. Mother Teresa once said this, God cannot feel what is full. He can feel only emptiness, deep poverty. And your yes to Jesus is the beginning of a being or becoming empty. It is not how much we really have to give, but how empty we are, so that we can receive fully in our life and let God live his life in us. In you today, he wants to relieve his complete submission his father, allow him to do so. Take away your eyes from yourself. Rejoice that you have nothing. You know, when parents cry out to God, they say, Lord, I love my kid, the kid that you gave to me, but I, got, I can't help them. Help them! Oftentimes, God's grace and, and mercy comes out of nowhere. Co-parenting. That is a spiritual parenting. Our house church is all about co-parenting. Thank God we don't have only Heavenly Father, but we have a wonderful spiritual uncles and aunts. So we dedicate our children today, but we are actually dedicating ourselves. Let me close. Luke's story is left suspended. We don't know what happened next, whether Mary and Martha were reconciled, whether they were able to enjoy meal afterward. We don't know, but we do know this. According to John 11:27, Martha made this amazing confession that, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, Son of God, who has come to the world. Next to Peter, one who gave a most incredible confession of faith in the Bible was a Martha. And what about Mary? In John chapter 12, what did Mary do? She anointed Jesus with an expensive perfume. And Jesus said, leave her alone. She did it for my burial. 
You know, do you know that Mary is the only one who recognized Jesus' coming death? I don't think that was a coincidence. Mary listened to Jesus' word. She didn't understand clearly, but one thing she knew, that Jesus loved us to death. And I need to do my part. That's what she did. Brothers and sisters, our children, whether it is our biological children or children in the spiritual children in our life, these are the treasures that we're going to you know, praise God with. So in, in our, you know, I, one of the most wonderful things I heard about the house church testimony in Houston, there was a one you know, house church uh, where the child was autistic, the, the shepherd's child was autistic. And then they opened their house, they become a shepherd, and then uh, other family, other children came. This autistic child is, was a very spoiled up until that point. The younger children stopped bothering him. And he had no choice but to interact with them. One week at a time, slowly the autistic children, child, he becoming slowly functional. Slowly functional, functional, functional. In high school, I heard, he became a, functional enough to go to regular school. And other parents who saw that, they said, okay, I'm going to sign up for the house church shepherd. Call me. You know? I don't think, you know, raising children together, that is what God called us to. And Forrest, all the adults, people, you know, above 20 or whatever, we are the only first generation. Reason we call our church name Forrest is so that we want to interlock our root. Roy understand the redwood in California, redwood forest in California, as a gigantic trees. Not because the root is a deep, but root is a locked together and horizontally. And we want to really lock each other with a prayer and co-parenting. We're going. Let's do, let's read our dedication song. And then we will sing together our, this is not a, just a song, this is our prayer. So can we look at the song? Let me read it for you. Uh, let me read. I love you, Lord, or your mercy never fails. All my days I've been held in your hands. From the moments I wake up until I lay my head, I will sing of the goodness of God. All my life you've been faithful. You've been so, so good to me. And every breath I'm able, I will sing of the goodness of God. And uh, later in the bridge part, this is a, the part that I like the best. Your goodness is running after, is a running after me. And that's the, this is a new song, but this word that I caught me. Because every time you are running after your kid, remember God is running after you. God is running after you. And he will find you. He will help you. And that is our hope and our praise. Let's all stand together and let's praise. <laughs>